You are listening to Danvers Audio, a podcast by the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. Thanks for listening. This is Grant Castleberry, Executive Director of the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, and I'm excited to have my friend on the podcast today, Gavin Peacock. Gavin is a uh, former team captain for Chelsea, now a pastor at Calvary Grace Church in Calgary, and he's the International Director for CBMW. Welcome on the show, Gavin. Thanks, Grant. Good to be here. Well, for uh, so many of the listeners, can you just kind of fill them in on the backstory? Like, how did you start sure. playing football? And Yeah, well, I'm, I was brought up in a, we'll call it football, because that's the real name for it. Soccer is not. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. But uh, I was brought up in a footballing family in, in, in the UK. My father, Keith, was a professional footballer for a team called Charlton Athletic um, in the 60s and 70s. And so as a kid, I was brought up around the dressing room and watching my father play and um, all I ever thought about doing was following in my dad's footsteps and, and being a professional. And um, so I went through the usual uh, channels and I, I played at school and then I got mm. recognized at, at county level, uh, which is regional. Uh, and then at age 15, I played for England schoolboys. So that was international level at, at that age. Um, and it was then that I really uh, thought, yeah, there's a chance that I could actually make professional here. Um, at 15 years old. Yeah, 15, yeah. then the professional club started really looking and I had a choice of different clubs that were wanting to sign me on what they call schoolboy forms with a view to signing me as professional. And, mm. um, and so I, I signed at age 17, left school at, at 17 and signed for a West London team called Queens Park Rangers. Um, and, uh, and then my, my career sort of took off uh, from there. So, and how long till you make premier league? Well, I, QPR then was a, they called it the first division then, which is right. the premiership now. They were a Premier League team. So I made my way through the, the youth team and the reserves. And, right. and then I, I actually got my first team debut when I was just turned 19. Um, and then I moved to a couple of other clubs, um, notably Newcastle United, which was a, another big team. And they're a, they're a Premier League team. And then in 1993, uh, I moved to Chelsea Football Club. Um, which is probably the most well-known team around the world now, especially right. over this side of the pond. Um, Chelsea weren't as big as they are now when I played, but uh, things were starting to yeah. change then. When did you become captain of Chelsea? Well, I captained the team in 1993. Um, the following season, I, I was captain for quite a lot of the games, um, and we got into Europe that season as well. So it was a great experience. I mean, you know, I captained most of my teams, um, but uh, captain in Chelsea w- was tremendous, especially because we got into European football. And Chelsea hadn't been, you know, we, we got to an FA Cup final and into, the, into European football. And they hadn't been there for, for many, many years before that. So uh, it was a turning of a, a, a change of an era, really, at Chelsea. Hmm. So when did you know the Lord? Were you a Christian then? Or kind of tell, tell us a little bit sure. about your spiritual story. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, as I said, so backtracking i wasn't brought up in a christian home um i had a vague idea of who god was my mom sort of told me some bits of the bible that mm-hmm. she'd heard and um but of course if you can imagine you know i'm brought up in a, an atmosphere where it's all about achieving the goal and i wanted to achieve the schoolboy dream and i did 
I achieved the yeah, schoolboy dream of becoming a professional footballer. I had a bit of money in my pocket. Mm. I had a career. I had a nice car. And everything that the world says is success and is going to bring you happiness. But of course, uh, once I'd achieved the goal, I wasn't really happy because football was my god. If I played well, I was up. If I played badly, I was down. And uh, so I was very much up and down in those kind of teen years, 18 years old and and onwards. And it was around about that time that uh, I just went along to my local church. It was a mm. local Methodist church. Um, one evening, one Sunday evening, and uh, I heard the minister speak there, and and uh, and then he spoke to me afterwards and says, "Why don't you come back to the house? I've got to have a like a youth group there, you know. I yeah. just have some youth." And so I walked into this youth meeting with I'm the one that's in the in crowd. Uh -huh. I'm the one that's got everything, and uh, these young people, my same age as me. Uh, they weren't the in crowd and they, you know, just maybe had regular jobs or were still at, at school. And, and yet when they talked about Jesus Christ, when they prayed, there was this reality there, mm. a reality to their faith that struck me straight away and a joy they had that I didn't have. And yet I'm the one that's supposed to have all this happiness. And it was over the next few weeks that the, the minister began to unpack the gospel. It was then that I, you know, realized who God was right. and who I was in relation and uh, my need of a savior in Jesus Christ and that he provided that. And so it was then that, you know, I repented, believed the gospel and uh, and I was saved and, and, and very soundly saved as it were in terms of I went into that dressing room and told them that so you, the lads, were, you were on fire. You well, were, yeah, I mean, yeah. it was a, you know, straight away there's this reorienting that God is God and football's mm -hmm. not. And now, you know, uh, it was a very, you can imagine, like as a as a 16-year-old, you leave school and you go into a man's world and it's hard, yeah? And you're getting criticized left, right, and center by other guys on the field, on the training field, the bosses, the managers criticizing you, the crowd criticizing you, the, the press criticizing yeah. you. And so it knocks you and it tests your identity. Of course, for a lot of sports people, they'll go back to themselves and, and, and stoically dig deep and it's all about my own ability. But of course, knowing Jesus, it was that Christ was my security. Christ was my identity. So I told them, I mean, you live with a bunch of guys for 10 months of the year. What do you do on a Sunday? Well, went to church. Where do you go to church? Well, I'm a Christian. And of course, then Peacock's a born again Christian that flew around the, uh, uh, around the club. And anything new with a bunch of guys, is you're going to get a little bit of um, uh, critique or a bit of, uh, you know, the poke a bit of fun at you. Yeah. But I think when they saw... As I say, one thing about professional sport is uh, your character gets laid bare on the field of battle, as it were. You know, people know what kind of character you are. You live with guys, and uh, and I think once they saw day in day out, week in week out, that that this my faith was genuine. I was living it out. That even if they didn't believe it, they saw there was something true to this. Uh, right. This guy at least believed it. You know. And I had some amazing opportunities over the years to to witness to men that you would never think would ask about mm. Christ. Uh, I saw a couple of guys come to Christ, wow. um, to live in faith, and um, and others who rejected it. Um, but you know, you, you pray that uh, a seed was sown. And how old were you when you met Amanda? So I was, yeah, my wife. I met my wife when I was uh, eighteen. Just turning 19, I hadn't been a Christian very long at all, put it that way, right. just a few months. And we met at evening class. Um, I was just doing some uh, a history A-level 
because uh, football is one of those precarious careers where you uh -huh. can yeah. lose your career in a training session. So I was doing some extra studies and uh, met this girl uh, called Amanda and she was not interested in football at all. Uh, but she was interested in Christ, and this was the thing. So we got talking, and we became good friends, and you know, I invited her to church, and she came to that youth group, and after a couple of months, she was saved. And so this friendship was formed, and um, after, uh, after a year, I said, I want to date you with a view to marrying you. And it was, wow. it was fast after that. We got engaged and, and then married within uh, uh, six months after that. That's fantastic. So your career ends 2002, and you transition to becoming a BBC broadcaster. Sure. Yeah. How, how did that happen? Well, what happened is during my era as a professional footballer, um, the uh, Sky TV came into basically owning the Premier League, and um, and with that came a lot of money into the game. But also with that came the opportunity for players to give comment on the game so all of a sudden microphones were shoved in the face of, of players after games before mm -hmm. games and more than ever and um you know the, the criticism is always that footballers can't speak very well they've not got a brain in their heads but the rugby players were all university educated guys but they'd go beat each other up on the field but then afterwards they could give a really good interview because they all had degrees and they you know whereas footballers are kind of working class sport blue, well of, blue collar yeah yeah, that's what we call in America. Yeah, yeah yeah totally and so but i mean guys got better as it went on but it did provide opportunity so i used to take those opportunities when i was playing and then what happened is the bbc asked me after i finished if i'd like to start doing a bit of broadcasting just commentary on games on the radio at first but the bbc is a huge um center it's moved from london but it, traditionally in london where when you're on the radio all the TV editors are listening mm -hmm. through the whole building. And I got picked up and asked to go on to the TV shows. And then it just built from there and ended up doing uh, all the big shows in weekly during the football season. And then going to some big world events like the European Championships and the, and the World Cup in um, Germany in 2006, which wow. were highlights for me. Wow. Really good. But you left it all. I left it all. You yes. left it all. Yes. Uh, and you moved to Canada. Yeah. Man, that is crazy. That's what they by thought. the world standards. <laughs> That's what they thought. Yeah. Um I hadn't thought about going into ministry. I felt called to ministry. I'd always um uh, felt the Lord had given me a platform to witness as a Christian athlete. And so I suppose uh, I had done a lot of evangelism, evangelistic events and testimony stuff, gospel testimony stuff. Um, I put you know, articles in newspapers. I did a book in 1994. Um, but uh, I was doing my work for the media, but I never felt that it was going to be forever. Hmm. Uh, and then I, the Lord powerfully called me um, in, in the word and prayer, so a subjective call, I guess you'd, you, you'd say, um, that I was really convicted that, maybe I ought to be teaching the Bible, uh, preaching the word. And then I spoke to my minister and, and they began to test the call out. And they said they'd recognize things and um, they began to test it out with, with public teaching and, 
and preaching and and then it became affirmed and, and and so i was still so you can imagine i'm still working for bbc so you know you're broadcasting in front of millions of people and then i'll be preaching on a sunday somewhere and um or preparing a preach while i'm at the, the world cup and coming back the next week to preach somewhere <laughs> wow. and um and so there's this big contrast going on in my life but i'm just feeling now this kind of real call to preach God's word and so I call it like my joyful compulsion I not only felt compelled to preach but I felt this joy uh, when I was preaching as well um, and I started to do some Old Testament and New Testament studies at, at Cambridge uh, University uh, at the same time as I'm broadcasting once I started studying as well as uh, preaching I knew I was going to give it up and take a season to to study and prepare for ministry the question was then do I stay in England and do it? Right. Or do we look to maybe come away for a while, away from the public spotlight, um, away from even studying at Cambridge, you know, the, the guys I'm with there in the class, they want to talk about the football game. They see you on TV and they kind of relate that. Oh, yeah, Gavin's a Christian, but he's the footballer or right. the pundit guy. Um, but coming away would really test us out and really kind of have that anonymity where people would then just want to hear what you said from the word of God. Um, and so in 2008, I gave up my work at the BBC um, off the back of a big European championship. I was broadcasting uh, with the Beeb in um, Austria and uh, we moved to Canada. We'd been coming out to Canada for quite a bit anyway. So we knew the, the area in Western Canada near Calgary. And um, we, we decided I was going to do my master's studies and probably go back after three years. Um, it was a big, big call because we were coming away from everything um that we'd known um i was coming away from everything there's no football no one's really that interested in football over in it's hockey and that's about it um <laughs> so i done i was coming from bbc and millions of people watching what you were doing to minus 25 degrees studying mm -hmm. hebrew and greek at eight in the morning at seminary and thinking my goodness what have i done and it was hard in many ways. It was hard for us as a family. Lord really stripped us back, all of us, and particularly, I would say, myself as leading my family out there. Mm -hmm. and my kids were, you know, in their mid-teens, so, you know, not easy ages to, to leave their their country. But, of course, you know, testing out where where is your contentment. And uh, in those hard years, um, you know, we were driven back to, to draw from the, from the vine, that is Jesus himself, and to draw our joy from him. And, uh, you know, I can s say surely that, you know, we've grown in our love to, for Christ and I've seen my, my kids come to a real vital faith in Jesus Christ and growing in that. My wife has awesome. grown as a godly woman. And um, I think that I always say to, to young guys, even thinking about going into to ministry, um, you know, where is your joy? Mm. Because it can't be in ministry. Because if the ministry doesn't seem to be bearing fruit, where are you going to take your job? It must come from your joy in Christ. That's right. What you are on your knees before him alone in that study in the morning. Yeah, if God gives you a Jeremiah ministry yeah, and there's not much fruit, yeah, totally. it's got to be mm. in the Lord. And that's what I had, Grant, in, in, in uh, the little town I lived in for, for several years. You know, I'd started up groups and men's groups and small groups and um, even... As, as a pastor of the church at Calvary Grace, looked at the potential of church, planting the church's services out there with, as you say, n not a lot of fruit. And yet preaching the same stuff in, in Calgary, 
people are, are alive. The hard ground in the town I was with and uh, that I was in. And so that does test you out. And um, and so no work done unto the Lord is, is in, in vain. And, and who knows in the little town that, I mean, maybe years down the line, you know, maybe it's a tilling work that I've done and a sewing work and maybe some other guy comes in or we send a team out from Calvary Grace in three, four years and bang, you know, people are being saved and a church is planted. When did you become a pastor at Calvary Grace Church? So I went on board there um, basically as home missionary um, at the uh, in the beginning of 2012, end of 2011, two, 2012 beginning, um, and then came on board as an elder uh, after a while. And so, you know, I'm a full-time pastor there. And, um, you know, I take a particular, uh, I mean, I preach and, and, and teach Sunday school and all the past duties of a right. pastor, and then take a particular lead in the area of, uh, I would say, men and, and marriages. Mm-hmm. You've come on board as director of uh, CBMW International. Mm-hmm. Can you just kind of tell us where you're going to go speak here in the next few weeks? What sure. you're what you're doing? Yeah. Well, I think the 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 broad vision is to you know establish uh, CBMW um, globally, really um, make connections and relationships with 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 good men, with good churches in other uh, countries, and establish a CBMW presence there. Um, and we're working on the shape of, the, of what that mm-hmm. will look like. Um, but obviously, one of the big things is, you know, straight away there's a presence in, in Canada because that's where I am. And, you know, in a, in a uh, strong complementarian church with some good connections there. So there's, there's, a, there's an area of focus. And, of course, the UK. I go back to the UK at least once a year for ministry trips. And I'm going back literally in a couple of weeks and we've got two CBMW uh, events going on there. Uh, one is a biblical manhood and womanhood uh, seminar day and one is a biblical manhood day. One's in London and one's in Coventry in the Midlands. And so they're, you know, that, that's exclusively uh, CBMW. So just even going and teaching on biblical manhood and womanhood and issues of biblical sexuality drawing like-minded pastors together, making good connections and seeing who the Lord would mm. raise up uh, would then kind of, rather than going in and saying, you know, oh, we're going to take this guy, this guy and this guy and we're going to form a team, rather even go and speak the word and see who the Lord draws, yeah. uh, as well as, you know, knowing certain guys who are already in the mix. And I love your passion and your vision for raising up biblical young leaders young men can you kind of talk about your just your your heart for that yeah sure um i mean i i I suppose coming from the background i've had you know i've been in a man's world and you know i've seen i've that's what i've been in uh for, for so many years and um you know people always ask me what what do you what do you miss about playing football and mm-hmm. one of the things i always say is being super fit being super fit and uh, mind you, I've just been for a run with Owen Strain and, and compared to him, I'm still super fit. But anyway, <laughs> and I'm nearly twice as old, old as him. <laughs> um, but uh, no, seriously, I've missed being super fit. But the other thing is being with the guys in the dressing room because mm-hmm. there is something about men being together in a team uh, fighting for a common cause, something greater than themselves, yep. as it were. So, so you get the kind of you know, and and so when I speak on biblical manhood, I kind of even getting the men together. You can see even if they're not really, they've not had good teaching on what it is to be a man. 
there's something in their soul that begins to stir a little bit when you start to paint God's vision for manhood before them. It's so something that scares some guys as well. Uh, but at the same time, it's something that stirs them because it's true. And, um, and so you need, to, you need to get to the men. You need to get at Calvary Grace. We've got good men, and Clint Humphrey's senior pastor there. He started with the men, yeah, and he trained men for eldership and gotten very good that he did that. And then godly women are responding to godly male leadership. Um, and so what we've done at Calvary Grace, and a lot of my teachings come out of stuff like I've just done, you know, with the men there, and we're seeing men, married and single, just growing in godliness. Be Becoming, I, I have this kind of catchphrase, divines, not dudes. Yeah, you? I love that. Divines, not dudes. Because there is this something a bit, uh, I think nowadays, a bit lightweight about men. Mm. You know, there's a, there's a lightness. The, the glory of God doesn't rest heavy. Um, there's a kind of relevance to guys. They, they want to be kind of hip and cool. Um, and I'm not saying you can't be kind of cool and, and be a Christian man. But at the same time, I want to see men with like a weighty joy, with a seriousness about them, with who are passionate for, for God and for his purposes and who aren't kind of lightweight chipper guys, but are guys that kind of, they know how to suffer well. That's, the, that's another mm. thing. I think we're in an age where we don't suffer very well. Men don't suffer very well and they self-pity quite easily because of that. And so I'm not talking about a stoicism. I'm talking about a maturity and so I can be in a room full of men who are from jocks to computer guys to artists to whatever. And I say to them, biblical manhood doesn't, it's not about, you know, what interest you've got kind of out there. It's about maturity. Um, it's not about being macho. It's about being mature. And, um, and you see guys really, I've seen it on the ground in pastoral ministry, guys rising and growing and marriages being uh, helped and and single men pursuing Christ-like purity and pursuing Christ Himself and mm. um, and emerging at the same time, you know, there's a need for teaching on biblical womanhood. And I just did a, a seminar day at our church three weeks ago. I taught it to women. We had seventy-five women come. That's I had one awesome. guy helping me on sound, <laughs> so we were very outnumbered. But 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 seeing these women like embracing godly femininity, mm. you know. Like, pursuing respect to their husbands and the way they speak and act, you know, talking about yeah. being a helper, talking about submission in, and delighting in God's vision for womanhood. Again, so encouraging when you see a, a, a godly woman who is encapsulated with God's vision for, for femininity, men who are encapsulated with God's vision for masculinity and, and marriage, and then single or married, you know, embracing that in the bigger family, that is the church, right. uh, the eternal family. It's and compelling. It's compelling. Yeah, totally. So you, I, I remember a few months ago, you were tweeting out something about Ephesians 5. Oh, sure. And I think you were just paraphrasing Ephesians 5, 22 yeah. or 23. And, you know, you've got a large Twitter following, especially in the UK still. And tell us kind of how that went down. Well, I think... I mean, I don't know. I've got that many people follow me, but a lot of people have followed me because of football, right? And then they kind of get a bit bored because all I'm tweeting about is uh, is Jesus. Um, but I was preparing for uh, our winter conference, which was on the goodness of biblical manhood and womanhood, which uh, Owen Strand spoke at, and I was one of the main speakers. And I was just prepping my talk, and and as I was just studying and studying a little bit of the Puritans. Uh, 
on on marriage. I just tweeted as quite as you said something on on manhood, something on womanhood, and uh, something on marriage. And it was you could have rooted it in Ephesians five clearly. Um, and I went to bed, and I, I don't normally <laughs> if I get if I get five retweets, it's pretty good. <laughs> I've gone to bed and I, I just woke up next morning and, you know, got up and I uh-huh. took my phone and I just saw a message up there. Um, uh, the Daily Telegraph, uh, by uh, mocking my friend Gavin Peacock, he's a pastor friend of mine, is giving more coverage to his sound tweets. So this was a pastor friend of mine in, in the UK had had tweeted this out. And I thought, the Daily Telegraph? And then the mails, I thought, oh, no, it's gone. You know, someone's got hold of it. And what yeah. happened is um, a couple of uh, newspapers had got hold of it. I think it was the Mail, the Telegraph, and one other. And they got hold of it. And, of course, then, in their eyes, it was sexist tweet. And they blasted my picture out there past Gavin, footballer turned pastor, becomes the sexist pastor. And, of course, I just got, I mean, the, the notifications on my Twitter feed, it went crazy. I think they... The, the stats on it were like a million hits or something in the, in the <laughs> week or something. It was crazy. And the notifications just kept coming in one after another. There was some awful stuff said. I mean, mm-hmm. really nasty, horrible stuff, mm-hmm. evil stuff. Um, and, uh, and yet within that, there were some complementarian men and women who were very, very, very supportive and, and coming out with positive comments. But of course, the majority was still because it went mainstream yep. and then hit the national papers. Um, but then I, I kind of didn't say anything for the first day. But then I thought, I've got maybe an audience here where I could put some, a considered response, you know, um, on a blog piece uh, and lay out God's vision uh, for, for manhood and womanhood and, and marriage and, 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 th- and link it to the gospel, because clearly it is, but link it to the gospel, make a gospel call in that. And I did. And. Um, and you know the Lord blessed that. I think there was a good response to that, but uh, but still, you know, people will react against it because it is so counterculture, and especially right. if the culture hears it, with you know they don't understand it at all. No kind of there's no framework. There's no framework right. for them. But I I do believe that it it becomes the issues of biblical sexuality have become a, a mission moment for the church because it is in that area exactly where the if you are, if you believe in the inerrancy of the scriptures in these areas, uh, you are living this out as a Christian or as a church. You will come in conflict with with the surrounding culture, and necessarily, then it becomes this differing point where you need to know what you believe to to live it out. Need to know what you believe to explain it, but also, it's a pl- it's a place where you can engage people with the gospel. Hmm. So I don't just see it as a going head to head with That's culture. Right. It it will do, but at the same time, I, I would hope to use it as a as winsomely as possible to 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 win people to Christ. Because the first thing an unbeliever needs is to be saved, and then you understand what Christ calls us to in in terms of biblical sexuality. But um, it, it's a chance now for 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 that. But it's also I think um, I think this will also be an area where you will find out what churches stand on the inerrancy of Scripture and the sufficiency mm. of Scripture. It will find people out because you won't be able to hide. You That's can't true. hide in this culture now. If I'm a church and I'm especially located internationally and I want you to come speak, I want you to come lay out this vision, biblical manhood, biblical womanhood, what's the best way to 
to contact you to to get you to come out. Tweet me. Tweet no, you. No. <laughs> Tweet you. Um, well, I mean, could, I could be contacted through CBMW. Got my that's uh, right email address, which I've now forgotten. <laughs> it's uh, G Peacock at cbmw.org. There you go. I'm glad so, you know it. Yeah. <laughs> People can ask you for yeah. my email address. Uh, contact me through uh, Twitter or through Calvary Grace Church. Okay. So the details are on the website. And yeah, um, you know, I'm I'm keen to um, I'm keen to travel to to present the the vision of of complementarity. Uh, to to preach it, to teach it, and um, and I think uh, once people see it, once they they're taught it, as you said, right, it's compelling because the the word of God is compelling, mm-hmm. and and I think um and I think this is what I love about CBMW is the um the flavor is that we should live this way, we should portray paint this picture, this design because God says so, mm-hmm. but also because it's good. Yeah. And it is it is a means of joy, you know. And so uh, there is the authority of God there, but but the authority of God is good, mm-hmm. and it's for our good and for our flourishing and for our joy. And and I think once we 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 embrace that, we get men and women modelling this because this is the other thing is that the, I look around and and the youth of today they haven't got role models. They need men and women who model this, and when they model it with joy and they see this this counterculture literally in front of them that too becomes a compelling vision not just the words mm. but the actual lives that are transformed mm. yeah even christian role models it's yeah. just we need christian role we models in the church yeah more, more more than more than ever because i think we've we've so departed from god's word in in these areas that that literally we have to think about these things literally how you interact mm as a man with a woman a woman with a man you know some people say well that that can seem a bit you know infantilized but the the fact is because we're so we've yeah. so far away we need to return and we need to train ourselves in god back to the basics yeah and train yourself in godliness and back to the basics is one of my talks that i give going back to basics i, I use the example is on the on the football field we'll call it soccer for translation purposes um <laughs> when it's going wrong out there you need to go back to basics. What was the game plan? What did the manager tell you before you went out there? And and of course, we're going back to basics, and you don't get much more basic no. than than Genesis one, two, and three. Well, thanks for your time today, Gavin. It's been uh, it's been fun. Yeah, it's been good. Thanks. Thanks bro. for coming on the show. Pleasure. Thanks for listening to Danvers Audio. We would like to tell you about two exciting upcoming opportunities at CBMW. In March, CBMW is hosting a speak conference for young Christian leaders at Snowbird, Utah. Speakers will include Todd Wagner and Matt Carter. Also, in April, CBMW is hosting a T4G pre-conference, The Beauty of Complementarity. The event will feature 27 speakers in two days, including John Piper, Jackie Hill Perry, Mary Cassian, Alistair Begg, and Darren Patrick. Please visit cbmw.org for more details. Again, thanks for listening.